This is Single AF 101, a dating podcast for everyone. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Single AF 101. Today, we will be having a discussion that doesn't directly pertain to one's singleness, but different relationship situations that you might find yourself asking questions about one day. With that being said, I am here with two dear friends of mine who are both attorneys and will help us understand and dig through questions about adoption, divorce, and domestic violence. So, Stephanie, if you will go first and introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Davidson, uh, and I uh, have for many years have practiced anti-domestic violence law on behalf of low-income families, mostly in Massachusetts, although I live in California now. So what that means is that I worked with mostly women, although some men, uh, fleeing abusive relationships and supported them as they fought their abusers for custody, as they fought for fair divorces, um, as they sometimes fought to leave the state or the country that they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and often this involved restraining orders and other kinds of financial uh, financial goals like child support or alimony. And let's see, is there anything else you need to know? So I no longer practice that now. Now I work at UCLA School of Law, but that's, I think, the relevant experience I have to offer here. Um, And as to school, I got my undergrad at Columbia uh, and my law law degree at Harvard. Nice. Uh, My name is Lauren Lorber. I'm an adoption attorney, uh, and I do have experience in divorce law as well. Uh, I went to school at uh, under my did my undergrad at UC Irvine and I completed my law degree at Whittier Law School did you guys both know what you wanted to be like your specialty to be in when you guys were in school did you figure it out while you were there um when I was in college I didn't know when I was in law school I just I grew up with it I grew up around adoption so it just kind of made sense I don't know if I necessarily said to myself, like, this is what I want to do, right. just kind of fell into it. Nice. And you like it? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. And Stephanie, you? Uh, I've been working with survivors of gender-based violence since 2005, mm-hmm. um, So, which was my first year of college. Okay. Um, so I've known since my first year of college that I wanted to work with that population. I wasn't sure what capacity. Right. Um, after college, I worked in sex crimes prosecution for a few years at the same office where Law & Order SVU is based on because I was trying to figure out if that's where I wanted to be. (laughs) Um, And it was only at law school once I got to kind of dip my toes in this field that this felt like... um, that it that family law felt like the right set of questions to be asking right. when we're talking about safety and long-term security in the fullest sense of the word security for families fleeing violence. Right. Yeah. Wow, this is going to be a lot. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Um, I warned you when you invited me. I know, me I want to hear it all. Though. I'm, really, I'm really curious to know because these are... I mean, the thing is, I see it mostly like in movies and obviously I know like the statistic of it happening to people in real life, but... I haven't actually had a conversation with what that actually looks like. If I was to get into the situation myself, I'd be starting from scratch. I would have no idea, sure. which is why I'd like to have these discussions today. Because also with adoption, I mean, I know I'm young, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> single, no kids, right? So I tell myself, which I probably shouldn't because then maybe it'll bring it to fruition, which I don't want. Be careful what you wish for. If I'm single and I'm like 35 and by myself still, um, for sure, I'd want to have kids. But also I know that 
adoption is probably going to be something that I'd want to consider whether I was married and had kids of my own or not. But I have no idea what that looks like. And I feel like knowing in advance probably is beneficial, I would hope. Um, so could you just tell us a bit generally about how adoption works, like the process and like um, what, who are like the main people that usually see themselves like adopting kids? Is it just like generally or is it like a main group of people? Sure. Um, to answer your last question, it's mostly families, um, you know, couples, whether hetero or, or homosexual couples. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, have either been trying or just naturally just cannot, um, you know, uh, reproduce children on, you know, on a biological level. Right. Um, the process is complex because there, there's many different kinds of adoption. There's okay. So when when you're considering an adoption journey, you have to think about what you want and what you're not comfortable, like what you are and are and are not comfortable with. Um, so there's there's um there's adoption through the public sector, which is uh generally generally foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, adopting through foster care, um, through through kids that you know are, are in the system. Um, they're they're usually older, like at least the age of two is or fos- older. Fostering is different from adopting, though, right? Yeah, fostering is is different. It's usually if you're going to adopt through foster care, foster care is usually the first step okay. um, that will lead to adoption if a child is eligible for adoption. In, oh wait, see that's a lot. Yeah, so there are kids in foster care who are and are not eligible for adoption. That's um, kind of sad, is it? I don't know. Just no, it's saying it the ones who are not eligible are the ones whose parents have not. They're lost custody, right? Yet? Their 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 parents, their biological parents, haven't fully lost okay. uh, their their parental rights Got yet. It. Um, they're either trying for reunification mm-hmm. or, or something like that. They're in, maybe in prison. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what? So you have to decide. Okay, do I want do I want to do I want to adopt an older child? Am I okay with that? Or do I want to start with a newborn? Um, and generally, with the, you know, with foster care, that's usually the cheaper route. Um, but it is more which one's cheaper? The foster care route, the okay. the adopt from foster care. Yeah, um, because you're dealing with you know the public sector. It's just you're not really dealing with private fees or anything. Yeah, um, and everything's kind of just like laid out for you. Uh, with the private sector, that's usually with newborn adoptions. So mm-hmm. you're getting the baby, you're getting a baby. Yeah, um, and they're usually you you formulate your adoption plan before the baby's even born. So it's you're usually dealing with women who are okay pregnant. Um, have an unexpected pregnancy, and um, they're looking to to create a, an adoption plan for their unborn child. Uh, so generally, families that are unable to conceive themselves, they want to like experience that you know the infant um, yeah. phase, and and they kind of want to. I hear a lot of, of this phrase. I'm not making it up. Just okay. st- starting fresh. Yeah. Um, you know, molding the mind, so to speak. Um, so the, the private sector is going to be more expensive, um, and you're dealing with, you know, attorneys and you're still dealing, dealing with social workers like you would with the public sector. Uh, it's just a little different. And then, uh, another part of adoption, another difference in adoption is whether you want to adopt domestically or internationally. Um, I like to compare Mm -hmm. international adoption a little bit to foster care. Uh, generally you're not getting like a fresh newborn. You're getting yeah. uh, a child that's maybe one to two years old or older. I have a question though. Yeah. I had never, that's a lot. I hadn't thought about any of that. But when it comes to like international kids, what makes somebody think to adopt someone who's like international? What are you, is it usually like maybe th- a family member or something? Maybe if, if, uh, if they have a, a tie, like a, yeah. a, a, a familial tie to a, a country 
or they just... I guess that makes sense. Everybody in America is not American, so... Well, <laughs> Lauren, usually... was there a period of time where the where some like deeply rooted gender biases, say in China, were leading to the availability mm. of young That's children? Question, yeah, so it just mm. depends on like politics as well, the availability, the availability of children. Right. A lot of times, like in, in times of war or, or post-war, there's a lot of availability for adoption. Um, you know, in, in, in China, yeah, I mean, China's not really an option anymore, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. and neither is Russia. Mm. Um, so it just depends on, like, the political dynamics of each country and, right. and what, what's going on and why are those children available yeah, for so adoption. Yeah, so if I wanted, I could, like, adopt a kid from Africa. Yeah, I mean, I, was I mean I'm sure the process Angelina is Angelina Jolie, expensive. like, made it almost a fad to, to do international I adoption. didn't even think about, well, I, I guess I did know that, but she's, like, a celebrity, so I'm like, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Yeah, she I didn't is. think like any, but like anybody could be, be open. I would just advise you to not have anyone draw on your wedding veil, okay? <laughs> right. That wasn't cute. Oh no, that happened. Oh yeah, her kids decorated her wedding veil, and I know I'm supposed to think that that's charming and okay. sweet, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. <you> don't. <laughs> that's funny. Um, your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, no, this is a lot. So, w- do you work directly? Where, where? What is your role? Specifically? So, I work directly with birth parents who are trying to create an adoption plan for their unborn okay. child or newly born child. We, we work with kids up to two years old, um, and I also work with adopting parents um, looking to adopt a, a baby. Do, who works with the person who's giving their baby if it's a newborn? And that's the birth their... parent. So right. we we work with both. Technically, uh, my client is the adopting parent, so the birth parents will have usually independent counsel or the option to have independent counsel. Yeah. But in terms of the um, the emotional support, we provide that. Okay, because it sounds like majority of people probably want a newborn. Uh, or is that not true? I I would think the majority of of families wanting to adopt would would prefer a newborn if it's if it's feasible for them. Right. And I guess if it's the if they want the experience and can't create it on their own then. Right. Yeah. So I do have another question in regards to like two people of the same gender. Is the process different for them or is it exactly the same? Cuz I know I mean marriage between recently, same like, sex mega, and and hetero couples? Right. It's the same. It should be the same. It depends R- on For sure it should be. It depends on with with us it's the same with, yeah. with my with my firm it's the same, but uh with other Firms like there's and the state laws kind of fluctuate, okay. um, you know, whether or not they can ban um, same sex yeah. couples. From so adopting. there are states that can do that. Um, the latest that I know. Yeah, there, there are states that that allow agent like adoption agencies yeah. or adoption law firms to discriminate yeah. against same sex, which I guess is the same as like abortion, too. Yeah, way way back when I think it's kind of well, obsolete now, but way back when you know <laughs> it, it was harder to place a baby with a same sex couple. Like most birth moms, you know, want to place a baby with like a a, gen- right. a generic like you know yeah you know husband. So do wife. they get to decide, or they don't really have a say anymore? The birth no, the birth mom still decides, but the birth mom nowadays I think it's obsolete that that notion because nowadays birth moms don't care. Right, I, we have plenty They're of like, same sex couples this... that get placed just yeah. as easily. Yeah, they just as want like a safe home for sometimes their child. easier. Even. Okay, um, it hmm. just depends. I mean, uh, the that's another thing about adoption that people don't know usually about private adoption is the birth mom selects the the adopting parents. Yeah, I didn't it's know not that. like there's I only knew you that know, from friends. Yeah, no so they idea. they select. It's kind of like a dating game. If you want to talk about being single, it really, right? You're you're creating like a yeah. like a dating profile almost, but to appeal to birth moms instead of like a, a yeah. spouse or a right. potential spouse. Okay, is there an app? For in, that? In, <laughs> not yet. 
In terms of things being different for queer families, mm. at, at least in the last two states I practiced in, straight up adoption was somewhat similar. But if one parent in a queer couple gave birth biologically to the child, then there's a process that doesn't exist in um, this is only for unmarried queer folks, but then there's something called second parent right. adoption. Okay. And that sometimes does exist for married queer couples. Yeah, um, depending on the state laws. Depending on the state laws, yeah, because just some, some state laws just kind of Because, you know, if, if I'm married to my husband and I have a child, automatically my husband has joint custody of that child. Right. But that's not necessarily the case for queer families. Right. Oh, wow. In the state, what, depending on if they're married, depending on if they're not married, yeah. and in some states even if they're married, the other person who was not biologically involved in the birth of that child, although, frankly, they could be. It could be their egg in the other partner's womb mm -hmm. still wouldn't be legally a parent until you go through a second parent adoption process. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, mm. same thing with adoption. Even if there's no biological ties in same-sex couples, we may have to um, do, like, as one, as a single parent, and then the yeah. second parent would later do a, sec a second parent adoption later on. Okay. I, I remember, after. like, right after Trump got elected, there was a huge rush, at least in the Massachusetts courthouses that I worked in, um, of queer families coming out of the woodwork trying to get their adoption papers finalized because mm -hmm. they were concerned that right. that right would go away. Yeah. And it didn't, though? Or we don't know. And not in that form. Obviously, the Trump administration has worked hard to make... Um, to give folks with religious concerns more of a right to impact queer families than mm -hmm. they've had before. So now it depends more on um, the, on this, it's more dependent on states, localities, and um, sometimes even just like county judges yeah. too. They, right. they may totally. have different, each judge may have a different kind of way of doing things. Yeah, and we, I just had an incident where a dear friend of mine um, where a dear friend of mine who had uh, a baby biologically um, with her partner, um, not with her partner, but and is married, and mm -hmm. the judge in a very liberal county uh, is currently refusing to grant the full adoption because she wants to take time in case the sperm donor has any feelings about <laughs> oh, it. Oh no! Which and this is a this is Ludicrous. not a county you would expect this to happen in. Yeah, it's and obviously it was an anonymous. Right. Donation anyway. So right, exactly. It's just a legal fiction, as we say. Darn. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess, whew, that's a lot to consider. I guess you don't that's really the, know. It's that's the best thing about family, about our area of law, right, Lauren? It's just that, like, I mean, it's the best and the worst thing is just right. that there is so many profound emotional and ethical issues in any case. Yeah. Yeah, it's like every situation is kind of a puzzle. Right. And no puzzle's the same. Yeah. It sounds like you keep it interesting for out. sure. Let's see. But to answer, you asked me a question earlier, like who usually adopts, and and so it's usually like families who are unable to conceive on their own, um, mm -hmm. and something kind of related to the theme of your of your podcast is, um, I think in my experience I see families waiting, like couples waiting or or individuals just waiting a little bit too long mm -hmm. to make that decision, like hey I want to adopt. Sometimes yeah. it's a last resort. For them, you know, they, they've been trying and, and struggling with infertility. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, going back to, like, the birth mom or the birth parents choose you. So yeah, a, a younger, like, you okay, know, right. more okay. agile couple, yeah. kind of like Ken and Barbie, is going to have a much better shot at that getting selected yeah. than, like, an older, 
you know, we have couples sometimes in their 50s Oy. wanting to adopt, yeah. and they've just been struggling with infertility for, like, at least a decade. Oh, wow. And we're like, you should have made this decision Darn it. a decade that's ago. A, that's really important to know, though, too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I remember when I was dating, I used to have conversations with people I was dating. Maybe not the smartest thing, but, you know, Ari is, you know, I, I do adoption. Is that something that you're, you know, how do you feel yeah, about that? Yeah. Our jobs right. totally tanked our dating life, didn't they? Right, yeah. yeah. They, it kind of made it just more, I don't know. You talk about it first thing. Yeah, yeah. more upfront about it. Well, that happened to me when I worked in finance for two years. I'm like, how are your finances? <laughs> <laughs> that was What's like. What's your financial That portfolio? could come off really wrong, but it's like, no, I talk about everybody, like to everybody about this. I am this very grateful that my husband so. does not think to ask about the finance questions <laughs> prior to getting We all ring. have our realm of ideas based off of what our situations are um but you so you do you said that individuals do adopt too just like individual yeah. people yeah we get plenty of singles yeah and some some adoption entities don't want to work with singles for the same reason they don't want to work with the same sex as, as they find it harder to market them or harder to mm. you know have them selected by a birth mom but yeah i, I usually don't see i singles might be something but but i don't know we we managed to do it yeah all, it's possible basically right um, so the next thing that I want to talk about is divorce, which does pertain to the topic very specifically, um, cause after your divorce, you're single. Um, so <laughs> I looked up some statistics, which I thought were interesting. So you guys can, I mean, I hope they're right. I got them off of the CDC website. So it says, um, the CDC tracks divorce. Apparently. Right, they have a, it please focus on tracking COVID and stop. Yeah. Well, they have divorce. a lot of different Jesus statistics Christ. on that website. <laughs> I love statistics. Why is the CDC weighing in on divorce rates? I'm it feels... How is that relevant? I'm not going to talk because my biases will come out and it will, <laughs> it will become obvious why I think they're tracking divorce. Just carry on. Okay, well, the statistics that I have here are 2.1 million... Mar- there are currently 2.1 million marriages in the U.S. Uh, the marriage rate is 6.5 per 1,000 people which makes me feel like I don't have a chance. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the number of divorces are uh, 782,000, and the divorce rate is 2.9 per 1,000 people. So the divorce rate's almost half a of... A lot of numbers. Yeah. It was a lot. So the, the <laughs> Lawyers don't understand numbers, even the ones, oh, okay. even the ones <laughs> who have to calculate child support. No, okay, well, one thing you should know about divorce is that a lot of math is involved, yeah. and most oh, of the lawyers <laughs> who decided math. to do divorce, <clears throat> myself included, really can't do math. Oh, no. Okay, well... Oh, the marriage rate is 6.5 per 1,000, right? The divorce rate is 2.9 per 1,000. It seems so low. It seems really low. The divorce rate or the no, marriage the rate? No, the marriage rate. 60, I have no idea. That's like 60 I'm just here to tell you. Is that everybody I know children single, and so. senior citizens? Like, what is, is the thousand? That's a good question. I have no idea. Is the age range, like, starting from No, but the, you guys are married, so you might know more married people. I'm single. Everybody I know is single. We're not. You know us. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. I think this is less about the fact that you're single and more about the fact that you're a solid decade younger than us. Yeah, that yeah. definitely, because I don't feel like marriage is as prevalent. I didn't know any all. married people when I was your age. Yeah, and I think it's, I don't know, it's hopefully true. it's not going to be a generational thing that's just going to become like a, not everybody, nobody's married, everybody's just. You're indicating that marriage know. is aspirational. Tell me more about that. I assumption. think so. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, ugh, I don't know. If I never got married and I was happily single forever, I'd prefer that over like being married and like not happy. 
But I guess the, that's For what sure. we're talking about divorce. So that's well, an option too. There are all, there's also <laughs> invisible options, right? There's long-term partnership without being married. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. There's married in an open relationship. There's a whole mm-hmm. spectrum of relationships. Right. So you can figure it out and hopefully make it work. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to get divorced or married in the first that. place. I've broken up <laughs> couples in open marriages before. Oh, man. See? Um, so <laughs> you guys have worked in the realm of divorce. So I'm going to ask this question. It's going to be general. Sorry. I'm doing my best to get you off course. Keep going. <laughs> I know you are. Um, what are some legal stipulations behind marriage and prenups um, that you feel like are important for people to know before getting married? I'm going to have to defer to Lauren on prenups to the extent that you know stuff about it, Lauren, because I only worked with low-income folks. So mm-hmm. prenups, though there is space for prenups in that area, it's not really done. Mm. So you want to know the most common prenup uh, clauses? That well, yeah, anything question? legally related because I don't know any. Yeah, I mean, about most it. of it is just money, you know, how, because how, um, there, there's things called, um, you know, separate assets and community assets, depending on the state that you're in. Are you a community property state, which kind of, um, it favors, just, uh, you know, kind of dividing things equally. Right. Um, or are you not in a community property state? So California's community property state. Correct. It is. Yeah. Where I practiced, it was not. Mm-hmm. Um. So you have to think about what your what each partner's assets are before the marriage and then decide, like, you know, in the event of a divorce, um, because we're in California, maybe the rich person doesn't necessarily or the wealthier person <laughs> in the relationship doesn't want to split everything 50 50. Right. Maybe maybe it's very um, the what do you call it? Like a just kind of maybe it's inherited wealth. Right. Or or just the, the difference between their it's wealth really is just big, really, yeah. really large. Right. Um, so, yeah, usually it's a financial uh, clause, you know, deciding how to split things or it just... So they, whether, they decide that before they get married. You can. You it's can. optional. Yeah. Okay. You can also do um, post, post-nuptial um, agreements. Like how does pre- that work? So a prenup is, is a prenuptial agreement, meaning pre-marriage. Okay. And then there are things called post-nuptial agreements that you can create. Um I don't see those as as often, yeah. or I didn't see those as often when I when I worked with them. But mm-hmm. um, but my they husband do exist. and I tried to make that. But we the post hard. one. We worked on a post nup. Yeah. Then yeah. I got pregnant and we got distracted. <laughs> we did work on a post nup. Yeah. So that's after you're married. You're trying to figure that out at that point. Yeah. Is there well, since you were doing that, is there like a something that caused you to do that or you felt like you just didn't do it before you got married you know mostly it's just that as someone who's been litigating divorces for seven-ish years um i just felt that the most loving thing you can do with your partner is make an agreement about how you'd separate when you still love each other right yeah um what we ended up really coming to is that some of the pieces that felt most important to us you can't pre-litigate for example custody of children right um I don't know if there are any states where you can, but you definitely can't in any of the states I've practiced in mm-hmm. um, because that's such a fact-based – well, because it's fact-based and because it's about the well-being of a of a being who's not a party to that contract, right? right? Yeah. Um, so the state has to assess what's in the best interest of the child, so you can't pre-contract it out. Right. Um, that's, that I know I, because I, I tried. My husband moved me across the country here to California, <laughs> right. and I really thought about making him sign something saying that if we didn't work out, I could take my kid back to right. Massachusetts. Right. But that's not real. Oh, dang. I just had to go ahead and trust him. Yeah, that's right. Much harder. Right. Um, yeah, and I didn't even think about Kids make everything more complicated. complicated. <laughs> families, divorces. Right. A divorce is really easy. As For an yeah. attorney, a divorce is very easy if there are no kids involved. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Relatively easy. Right. Yeah, I would say a solid 70% of my litigating 
even in the high violence cases, were mm. parenting plans. Yeah. Like that makes sense. The, the day-to-day schedule of who has who when, where pickups happen, right. how the kid's backpack and iPad is getting from one house to another. Yeah. Um, what are some of the main reasons why you saw people being divorced or getting divorced in the first place? I, my, just I primarily have only one answer, so you should toss it to Lauren. Okay. Um, Even people that you guys know. Um, my mom's been divorced once from my dad, which I completely understand that knowing my dad. <laughs> But my dad's been married like six times, which goes into why my mom got divorced <laughs> from him. But um, other than that idea that I have in my head, I don't know many people who have gotten divorced or talked to many people who have. So I don't know. I know that they say like um, money is a big factor. Um, yeah, money. You know, a lot of my friends I, I see already they've they've only been married for like a couple of years and already they're having trouble with their partners yeah. about how to deal with money. And that's not something that you really deal with a lot of times unless you've been cohabiting with each other right. and, and splitting, you know, living costs with each other for a while. Um, so See, some that's of it's why you money. Ask that question first date. Yeah, like... Ha- <laughs> Maybe not first date. I'm kind of glad my husband worded. didn't ask that question on the first date because <laughs> he had his shit way more oh, together see? than I did. Yeah. 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 I was yeah. dead and... No, no, no. Um, Law school costs a lot of money. Savings, like, <laughs> but um, just people growing apart, you know, especially when mm-hmm. you have kids, it it just changes oh, yeah. the the dynamic. You know, just changes your relationship so much. Sometimes in, in for the better, um, but it's right. just it's different. And how you kind of, uh, you know, people just change over the years, and and how do you adapt to to your partner's changes and and vice versa? Right. Um, you see people getting divorced, you know, six months into marriage, you know, or like 40 years into marriage. It, it just, um, people just change and, right. and they, they have these, you know, life aspirations that maybe do, it doesn't involve their partner, mm-hmm. um, or the partner doesn't want to be involved with, but a lot of time, yeah, it, it, people have different parenting styles. If you, if you differ on on like how to raise your children or child it's 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 a Huge. constant battle because that child's right. gonna stay in your life the child's not going anywhere yeah and then oh, that sounds like a lot yeah um so there's different strains that that can in my experience that can cause a, a divorce you know like yeah. also affairs right um how people respond to that it just just depends and those are things you- I've heard that you can uh, obviously heard like I said that like I was joking but that you can put in the Pre or post up, like if you cheat, then something something is that like a thing? Uh, yes, but I don't know if the enforceability is, is the same across all states because there are like yeah. no fault states, um, you know, where that just kind of refuse to take that. Like okay. it, some states refuse to to let somebody go down because they decided to have an affair. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's just. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you're like contracting this person's behavior, which is kind of weird. The family like, courts are like this. some of the most overburdened courts in this country, mm-hmm. and so I think there's a big move away from uh, having folks litigate these kind of morality issue right. issues. Yeah, they don't yeah. want to get involved. They don't want to. They don't want to have right. anyone sending a private investigator to a mistress's house. Right. None of that stuff. People the do only, that, though, right? 
Oh yeah, and the tons. And I mean, in at least in Massachusetts, the only reason that stuff would be admissible is if you threw a lot of money at the mistress. That's a conversation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or if you exposed your children sure, sure. to yeah. certain, you know, unscrupulous. Look, those behavior. people need to know before they go out to spend all this money on their investigator. <laughs> I don't know. They hide it pretty well. What? Who? The person that is most of the time. Uh, I. Yeah. It's it's not hard to hide money. I'm not going to tell right. anyone how. <laughs> There are ways. Um, so what are precautionary measures do you think people should take um, to help prevent them from becoming, like, getting wanting to get divorced in the first place? Would it go back to, like, growing together instead of separately or discussing those financial aspects? I think con- conflict resolution, just how you, how you guys kind of navigate through conflict. Um, is it in a healthy manner or is it in an unhealthy manner? Um I think there are also hard boundaries. You know, one concerning trend that I'm seeing amongst my young people clients especially Mm -hmm. is um, just an assumption that it's normal and okay for partners to know each other's codes to phones Mm -hmm. and then not only to know them but to regularly take your partners and look through them. Um, You know, I see that turn into very serious stalking jealousy issues pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... You know, I think preventatively, you know, setting firm boundaries and because those boundaries will enable you to see how much you trust each other. Right. Is really important. Yeah. Um, That actually brings us to our next topic, which is um, domestic violence. So I have another statistic. (laughs) Um, It says one in four women and nearly one in 10 men experience some sort of sexual um, violence, physical violence or stalking by um, an intimate partner. So, um, before we move on from divorce, if somebody's in a divorce with somebody who, who where they experience some type of um, domestic violence and they're separating from that, how would that, because there are people in these situations, right? How would that play out in regards to them getting divorced? Because I've heard of situations where it's not that easy because the other person's like running from the person who's trying to give them like the contract. So in this case, how would that play out? Yeah, that was my whole job. Um, so... There's a whole slew of things, right? So if the if the if the parties have already separated, that makes things a lot easier mm-hmm. because the number one thing that domestic violence attorneys will think about is safety planning. Yeah. How are you going to escape? Where are the kids going to go? Um, what tech tech safety measures have to be in place to prevent GPS tracking, et cetera? And then how do we safety plan around the abusive partner finding out that divorce has been filed? Right, Question, because that's though, an explosive. Is moment. that an expensive thing to have to implement? I mean, because being divorced is one thing, but then having the violence behind it is also another thing. This could obviously be affecting the person who wants to leave's finances, depending on what that relationship looks like. So. How would that work? I mean, is that what did I have? I don't know. I mean, think about the fact that over 60 percent of homeless women are homeless because of domestic violence. Um, Domestic violence is a huge source of the cycle of poverty and especially Mm. feminized poverty in this country and around the world. Um, Because you you generally women will always choose their children and physical safety over staying to fight over the bank account. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of our birth moms come to us out of, out of a situation of, mm. of domestic violence and they find themselves pregnant and homeless, you know, on the streets. Oh and yeah. they're like, I can't raise a child in this environment. Right. Yep. I saw that on TV once. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make a joke. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and for that reason, there's it's such a high mountain to climb. You know, one of my favorite statistics. Sorry, that's weird. I, don't I know, love statistics. It, What's weird? Is <laughs> that, uh, it's weird that it's my favorite, but oh, is that okay. it takes uh, the average uh, victim of domestic violence five to seven very purposeful, specific attempts to flee before mm-hmm. they successfully flee. Yeah. So we're normally talking about several years of planning and plotting yeah. to get out. So that that the plotting, like them leaving, usually the plotting starts when they look for the attorney or sometimes is it oh, well like beforehand. in the middle or after, I guess? Well beforehand, oh, before. normally. Okay. No. Yeah, because I feel like you need some professional help in order to get out of that type of situation. Many don't have it, but it's advisable. Yeah. I mean, one of the harder things is that the folks who are really, the attorneys who are really trained in domestic violence work is legal aid attorneys for low-income folks. So yeah. actually the middle and higher income women Sometimes, and I'm speaking in gender-specific terms because the reality of domestic violence is that a much higher percentage of victims are women. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, women with greater means are less often able to find find the expert sooner. That doesn't mean they don't stay safe because they have a credit card and they can go to a hotel, right? Right. Which is a whole different element of safety planning. Right. Um, But... But yeah, they don't tend to find the experts as quickly because when you hire a private lawyer, they're much like less likely um, to have safety planning training. Right. Um, so when, so a lot of those situations that you said you were in with getting people out of those situations, how often were they men? Was it? Did you ever come across like? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I've represented um, several men, but literally, I mean, I've been we're doing this work for seven years, yeah. and I'd say I've probably represented four or five men. Okay. Um, I have colleagues who've represented far more. Um, one thing is that, you know, um, men fleeing uh, abusive queer relationships will often, at least in urban centers, go to organizations that are specifically for queer folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but otherwise, you know, it's possible that the male survivors aren't aren't really don't expect to be believed. Um, yeah. So that could be an issue. Right. Um, but yeah, the, for the most part, I, I've seen women and, uh, non-binary folks or trans right. folks. Cause like, I, I have also seen to where people, when people are just like call the cops, just like in general and they're explaining what happened and they're like, ma'am, we can't help you because of this, this and that. So how does, if somebody's being told that, you know, by the police officer who's supposed to help them feel safe, if I was that individual, I wouldn't know where else I would need to go to in order to get the help I actually needed. Yeah. You know? And very few do. Uh, the the medical field is trying very hard to become a place of first response. Okay. Um, that's why everyone's been asked uncomfortably if they feel safe at home in their right. in their uh, doctor's rooms. That's supposed to lead to you saying, no, I don't. I need help. Um, I'm not sure the extent to which it has. I, I used to help run a medical legal practice, and I didn't see that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's hard to know where to go or what to do. Right. Um, obviously there are lots of reasons to feel unsafe about calling the police, even if you're not a a man claiming DV. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, knowing your other options in addition to that one is important. Um, because I feel like the reason, like, I'd prefer to have this conversation now, because domestic violence, I'm assuming, usually happens between couples. Obviously, there's situations where it happens with, like, family members and, like, younger children mm-hmm. and things like that. But in realms of, um, like, dating relationships. Um, so I recently went on a date. <laughs> okay. And people seem normal until they say something, and you're just like, okay, maybe not, you know. And I hate to, like, classify people based off of one experience but like what else am I supposed to do um because I've never been in a domestic violence situation but I've known people who have so it's like 
are there ways to avoid that? If so, how? So the example in the situation that I'm referring to is um, I met this guy on this app, <laughs> which I feel like is problem number one. <laughs> but I met the guy on the app. Um, we went to lunch. And we hadn't really communicated other than, like, setting up the date. We FaceTime once just because I always FaceTime people before I meet them. Um, but he'd call me a couple times. But as Lauren knows, I go to sleep really early. Mm. Like, 9.30, you call. You're wondering, like, okay, where is she? She's probably somewhere else. It doesn't matter because I've never met you, right? <laughs> Regardless of if I'm asleep or not. Um, so the first thing that he says when we get to the lunch or whatever, he's like, um, so who was that guy you were with? Oh, get out. That's not even uh, the end of what it was. That's enough. Get out. He said more than that. That's just me. <laughs> I know, I know. Exactly <laughs> oh, what he man. said. He said it at the beginning and the end of the date. But that's not even the weirdest part about it because he seemed so normal. He was cute. Like, I was they all like, seem normal. He had a good job. I he had put a nice them in jail. <laughs> they all seem normal. Oh, they do. <laughs> Dang it. So basically, do they usually give hints? Do you know? Yeah, it's yeah, about it's uh, what you're describing, and and I happen, unbeknownst to you, I happen to be a professional on on man children. <laughs> um, I, I have dated my more than my fair share of man children. And yeah, it's you know it's typically men who who are like they think they're hot shit, and yeah. and their okay. arrogance kind of comes off as confidence in the beginning. Right. Yeah. But they're se- sure. you know underneath it all, they're very insecure about themselves. And just that obviously was kind of a reflection oh, of his sure. insecurity on like, you. Who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> like, where am I? Why am I here? <laughs> and it's I think it's easy like for women, you know, how to avoid that is is really just how to defend yourself and how to just know like what you're worth and, and right. not to waste your time. Because my that thing kind was I was like, should I give him benefit of the doubt and give him like a second chance? But probably no, not. you don't like, need that anyway. in your life. <laughs> I mean, right. I think it's like, so hard. Months. Like women are socialized to avoid conflict and to be charming on da- on dates specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're in that dating situation, which is a totally reasonable dating sa- situation for any like intelligent woman to find herself in, how would you know right. he'd ask those questions? Right. The safest way to handle that, right, is to be true to yourself and say, "Hey, like you seem to be assuming you have any right to know what I was doing yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. I could have been with." 12 men like what's going what is why do you think you have any right right and let that be the litmus test presume yeah. you're hopefully you'd be I saying that in a public friends. space but if you're but more likely you'd be like oh it's cute that you know oh and i'm not gonna answer and, yeah. and be charming right and that kicks the can down the road yeah. to the point where when you finally speak your truth if this if he presses you again on it in private it mm. may be less safe right to throw the gauntlet down so i think that's that true. it's a good point being the practice of knowing your values, knowing your boundaries, and being very quick on the trigger to state them in the early phases of dating is something that's really important for young women to stay safe. But it's something that most young women, myself included when I was dating, truly aren't ready for. Right. Um, I told one of my friends about it, and he was like, um, oh, maybe that's just his way of showing that he likes you. I'm like, uh, no. That's <laughs> that's the same thing as kindergarten, he's pulling your hair. <laughs> right. Man-child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but let me give you the other example just because it's interesting, um, which I had forgotten about when I was talking about it after the fact. But then I thought back and... Um, you know, I always say that I live in Culver City, which mm-hmm. I don't think it's really Culver City. Nope. He lives in Culver City. So we, where we met was like five minutes from him, but it was like 20 minutes from me. I'm like, okay, I I've don't live in Culver City. I've been meaning to tell you that you don't live in Culver City, but carry on. <laughs> I just say, I just use it as a reference point. I don't know. Um, which is probably safe to do. It's yeah, probably not I like a bad it. idea, right? Okay, so we're not going to discuss where I live. <laughs> but um, basically, I showed him on the map. I'm like, this is where I live. Uh, just so you can get a general idea from where we were because he lived five minutes from there. And mm-hmm. he just like looked at it for a second. 
and then he gave it back to me. He didn't, it wasn't like zoomed in there. It wasn't like the address wasn't on there. It just it was like the map or whatever. And he was like, I'm gonna come over and like knock on your door. And I was like, uh, you can't do that. And he was like, I'm gonna come. This is a different guy or the same guy? Same guy. He. Oh, this is in the. This is like in the really middle of like a maybe two hour lunch situation or whatever. And oh, then he man. proceeds to do like the month. motion of him knocking on the door. He's like, bang, bang, bang. And I just looked at him. I was like, why would you do that? Like, why would you? Why do you feel like you should say that? And he didn't say anything. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? See, here's the thing. Like. Either he <laughs> has the capacity to be a huge abusive schmuck, in yeah. which case run the other way. It definitely seems like or it. I mean, he I'm has not, not had the opportunity <laughs> to, f- not opportunity is the wrong word. He has not given a damn mm-hmm. to think about what the world feels like in a woman's shoes. Yeah. If a man doesn't realize that that shit is scary to say, then mm-hmm. that means he's not, he doesn't have enough female friends. He doesn't have, he doesn't yeah. have the ability to empathize with a woman and that's reason enough to run away. Right. No, it was too much. I was like, he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, once there was someone posted on Facebook, like, Hey women in my life, can you share one thing you do to stay safe Mm -hmm. from gender based violence? And everyone responded and men were just coming out of the woodwork being like, I had no idea so much of Mm. your Ram is being taken up by safety every day. Yeah. Um, Right. And yeah, it's bananas. Right. Yeah, I think so to meet somebody and for them to ago. just be that open about it, it's, it's like, what, what world do you live in? Because totally, I don't want to go. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I strongly believe that if we weren't using our big brains trying to survive and trying to like nurse, we would have been president a long time ago. I know, right? As we should be. Especially like, I feel like dating apps have just made it feel even more unsafe. Because you know, mm-hmm. back. Way back in the day, quote unquote. Yeah. Used to, you know, meet people through mutual friends or, or used to meet them in person, like at a bar or whatever. And, and you, you'd be able to gauge whether right. or not, like exactly. before meeting them or before going on a date with them, you had some sort of background in Yeah, which helps because FaceTime doesn't fully cover that. That's kind no, of the logic of Hinge, right? And other like friend of friend type Yeah, apps. yeah, yeah. Tinder, Those did not exist when I was dating, but it's a mixed bag. <laughs> you, you have absolutely no idea what you're about to walk into, right? And, and that's what, how catfishing is. The what whole problems thing they're bringing with them on this? I first keep meaning to Google catfishing. You never I still don't know what that means. Oh, catfish means basically. That's you how see... old I am, gentlemen. No, I don't know. Oh, you don't know what it is. Either. I've heard it. I don't know what it oh, is. Oh, high five. Okay, <laughs> old farts. Catfish is basically I make a profile, but the profile is not me. I'm talking to people. I go and meet them, and I present myself as somebody. So it's basically an incel move. Yeah, I mean, That's the fine. thing is, it, I mean, there's a whole TV show on it's so interesting because it's like, didn't you know that this person was going to find out that you're not? But sometimes the like, relationships last like two years and they just never Yeah, but saw women also marry people on death row, so. Yeah, honestly. Huh. Yeah, that's the dating world that I'm currently trying to Sorry, girl. navigate. Yeah, it's horrible. This conversation didn't make it feel <laughs> any better. I didn't, about it. We told you it wouldn't be an uplifting conversation. It's also no, but un- it's okay. unfortunate that you know you go into it with such skepticism that you know even if a guy is yeah. even if a guy is perfectly nice and right. normal, you go in there kind of right. angry at like men in general. Yeah. And, and it's it's unfortunate that so many women are just frustrated and angry during dating that maybe they're not even giving legit opportunities a fair shot because right. they're just like this isn't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's unfair. Ooh, it's hard. Um, but is there anything else that you guys I didn't you feel like we didn't cover that you want to like talk about? I guess about? I should just quickly do a safety thing for anyone listening. If you are feeling unsafe, um, quarantine is particularly a concerning time for um, people in domestic violence relationships. It's harder to have space from your abuser. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. So... 
you know, obviously there are lots of reasons why you may not want to reach out to the police. Um, if there, if you're in a community, if you're uh, where it's safe to call the police, feel obviously that's an option. Um, but there are at this point a lot of great encrypted texting kind of apps um, that can help walk you through to safety. Crisis Text Line is a great option. The National Domestic Violence Hotline, uh, which has a chat and a phone function, is a great way to get started. Um, all the people at the other end of those texts or phones will be able to think through safety planning options with you from leaving the house to getting a restraining order to doing none of those things and just talking about what's going on and helping validate your feelings. Um, so don't don't think that there isn't help there just because you can't physically go in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Because um, I, I found myself, which was actually crazy before we get out, um, one of my friends was in a situation and... Basically, her life was threatened. Um, she left and came back. The person was still there. And I'm freaking out because I'm in a whole other state. And I'm like, you probably shouldn't go back inside. And she's like, I'm going to go back inside. I was like, okay, well, stay on the phone. Nothing ended up happening. But I don't know. It was, it was really intense. So hopefully, if anything else, you know, people who are in these situations have somebody that they can talk to. I mean, uh, you were certainly right to be afraid. The vast majority of female homicide victims are murdered by... Someone they know most of the time and the yeah. intimate partner. Right. Here to help. I mean, no, I mean, I feel like all these different things aren't conversations that, first of all, it is a difficult conversation to have if you're experiencing it, um, whether that be divorce or domestic violence or just not knowing what are the right questions to ask in regards to adoption. Um, I feel like we covered a lot about adoption that people who may be thinking about it, like me one day, I didn't know half the <laughs> things that you were talking about. So now I know. That's why I love having these conversations. But um, I definitely think that they, all of these topics being addressed now hopefully will help somebody, um, you know, at some point in their life or help them help somebody else. But either way, thank you guys so much for joining me. I had a great time. I learned a lot. And I really appreciate you guys being here. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. We appreciate you. welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Single AF 101, a dating podcast for everyone.